Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This week, I'm joined by someone so wonderful, Kamali Scott-Jones. Kamali is an A&R at Parlophone, and if you don't know what that is, that's my first question to her, so you will soon find out. You might have seen her on the cover of Music Week a couple of weeks ago through her work with Black Music Coalition, and she's also co-founder of The Debrief. And these are different spaces tackling different areas of diversity within the music industry. She is a force and she's one of those people who has an idea and just makes it happen. So she's really brilliant, super insightful, and I hope you enjoy this. Without further ado, Kamali on the Hot Girls Podcast. Let's go. Ladies, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls with Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. We on fire. From London. For the world. Let's go in. Kamali, welcome to the Hot Girls Podcast. Hey, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me on. The first thing I wanted to say, because you are an A&R at Polyphone, and I feel like we talk about A&R quite a lot on this show, and I mention it all the time. And in some of my early episodes, I was like, this is what it is. What exactly is an A&R? For anyone listening who's like, I've heard that term, I have no idea what it means. An A&R stands for artist and repertoire. Lots of people just say it as like one long kind of acronym. It's like A&R, like no one really quite catches it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it stands for artist and repertoire. And so traditionally, the job of an A&R would be to pair songs that they find and they have the ear for um, with the artists that are on their label. As time has moved on, Obviously, now we have lots of artists who actually write their own music as well. So it's less about actually finding those individual songs written by completely random other people to pair with artists. And actually, it now more means like managing an artist's music, whereas you have like their day to day manager who deals with everything from their, you know, their live bookings to getting in cabs or whatever the case is. Um, but yeah, an, an A&R is basically your kind of point person at a label who manages your, your music career. They help find sessions with different producers and writers, collabs. They help negotiate those deals for you, all that kind of stuff. So back in the day, as an example, when it was more so finding songs to pair with artists, that happened. And then as the time went on and the introduction of artists that write their own music, now you may have someone like Rihanna, for example, who doesn't write most of her music. She has different collaborators and people that help her with that process. In that sense, there is still that traditional type of A&R job, but it really varies artist to artist. And yeah, more so it's just a collaborative effort to try and get the best songs and the best out of an artist and their music. But equally, that being said, that's what it should be on paper. It should just be managing the music. But really, it's more, depends on the day, really, a step further than being a day-to-day manager or a step back. You're also their sister, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, their dad, their mum, their dog, whatever it is that the artist needs that day, that is kind of what you end up doing is quite a personal relationship that you build with with artists because when you find them and you like their talent and you want to connect with them you're kind of the the bridge between the label and the artist and their manager and so basically it's your job to deliver that artist vision to the label and for them to in all their different departments to really really crack down on that and articulate it properly and so even if something goes wrong in the press 
department, as an example, I'm normally the, the one that gets the call or get, get shouted at or whatever it is. You're kind of just the one that deals with everything. And yeah, you become you become really close. You become friends. Sometimes you argue. Sometimes you see eye to eye. Sometimes you don't. It's quite a complex job, I think, mm. um, in, in some ways. But yeah, hopefully that's a, a roundabout answer. <laughs> such a good answer. And I think it is such an, like you've touched on so many interesting things already, but it's like such an intimate job with an artist because their artistic output is normally the thing that's the most personal, that they're going to have the most kind of stress over or the most like specific expectations for what that's going to be so exactly as you said you're that kind of person to help them deliver but also I imagine sometimes support them in ideas that that maybe they would necessarily have thought of initially definitely A&Rs we're all really different even though it is one job I think it's such a personality-based job that there's different people bring to it. And I think for me, I've got more of a holistic view of the artist, their image, their positioning, their branding, and how I kind of see them fitting into the market and into the world. And so, and yeah, I'm super creative in that way. And I love getting involved in the marketing ideas and I'm kind of all over. And I, yeah, I, I put a lot into all of those different areas and I like being super hands-on. Whereas you might find other A&Rs who their skill is literally, they're like super like music nerds and they can go, oh, we need to transpose this chord. And do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. not quite me. I'm not a musical genius quite in that way. But yeah, we all, you know, have different skill sets. But I think in terms of being a modern day a and and what is required in this kind of climate that we're in, I think it is best to be a bit more of an all-rounder um, and just to be able to to see how an artist fits in and where the gaps are and, you know, being up on current trends across the board, whether that's fashion, whether that's Twitter trends or mm-hmm. anything that you can kind of feed into your artist campaign and their proposition. And also obviously pre-pandemic, it was super important for you to be out and about and like five, I want to say five nights a week, but sometimes it's <laughs> Sounds every so hard. I know, you know what? Yeah, I actually didn't realise how bad it was until lockdown hit and I was like, oh shit. I didn't realise how much sleep I was lacking. Like, I didn't realise. <laughs> I thought I was doing all right. Just, But really, I was surviving on, like, about three to four hours sleep on average a night. And so, yeah, you're, like, you're going to events like launches or just a normal party, the club. You're taking clients out for dinner, drinks, late studio sessions till whatever o'clock in the morning. And then mm-hmm. you're kind of back in the office for a meeting at 9.30 or 10. So, yeah, it was It's definitely quite a taxing lifestyle. I can't lie. But obviously... I've definitely had worse jobs than this, so I'm not complaining at all. (laughs) And I've missed it, not being able to be out in it for so long. If people are listening and they're like, I love music, but I'm not so much on the artist side or don't want to be an artist, then A&R sounds like one of the most creative, kind of like really interesting roles. But how how did you get into it in the first place? Because I can't imagine there's like a, you tick these boxes and you got it. (laughs) Literally, it's it's so funny because... It's a question that lots of people ask me, other people that want to get into it and stuff. And like the kind of boring answer I always give that I know no one wants to hear, but it's like not a job that any of us have the same story for. Like we didn't all just say, oh, like we saw this job role advertised on LinkedIn or it really isn't like that. Unfortunately, in some ways, like the music industry has typically been quite a closed off industry and it's like a lot of nepotism and it's about who you know and you know, or who your parents know or whatever. But I didn't really get into it that way. 
So I did English Lit and Creative Writing at uni. Mm-hmm. And then when I left there, I got a job working at a hair and makeup agency called Premier Hair and Makeup. Incredible agency. And I worked there for about three years after I left uni. Um, just literally started out doing the teas and coffees and like the social media, answering the phones. And one day, uh, the junior booker there, a girl called Lily, who was great. She was so good at her job. Like, you know, when someone's so sick mm. of and I thought she's never ever going to leave. And I think maybe two or three months into me being there, she said, "Oh, I'm I'm quitting." And I was like, "What?" I was like, oh my God, good, why? Like, why would you do that?" <laughs> and literally, I was like, "Lily, where are you going?" She just, you know, she'd been there a while. She wanted to move on, and I was just really shocked, but obviously super happy for her, whatever. And then my boss at the time said to me, "Do you want the junior booker role?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure," but like inside, I was like, "Why?" on earth would you hand me this job like I've literally what do I even know but obviously I handed it like a G I was like yeah of course like easy um and so basically Premier is an agency that reps session hairstylists makeup artists and manicurists so that we do like the nails for a Calvin Klein advert or makeup for the red carpet so we had clients like Kate Blanchett or Amanda Seyfried there were so many people um and so, yeah, really incredible. So it's it's kind of like a modelling agency, but for the hair and makeup that that do all the talent and like high fashion shows like the Chanel show, Burberry, incredible, incredible agency um, mm-hmm. run by a lady called Lindsay Cruikshank, who, yeah, gave me an amazing opportunity there. Um, so, yeah, once Lily left, I took over that role as a junior booker and I loved it. It was such an interesting job, very high pressured, I have to say. And it's kind of like a problem solving thing, but I do feel it was like the best training because like now there's not much that makes me flat like mm. I don't know like I had so many situations where someone would call me one of the the artists would phone me and be like I don't remember where I parked my car and I'd be like right okay. right <laughs> the last time you had it <laughs> do you know what I mean it was like there was nothing that you get asked everything do you know what I mean so that for very serious queries and like I don't know doing like oh one visas so that they can go to the states and work and it was a very varied job amazing mm-hmm. um but there was just part of me that always wanted to do music and I'd always been surrounded by it my parents have always worked in music and you know, when you're growing up, you just assume that, that you're just going to do what your your parents do. And I was just like, yeah, like, there's going to be a day I'm just going to fall into a job. Like, it's just what happens. And I guess at first it happened that way for me in, in fashion at Premiere. And then after about two and a half years, three years of being there, I just, I think I was burning out a little bit because it was, like I said, a super, super high pressure job. And I just felt something in me just told me I needed to change it up. And so... I'd met a woman um, just casually at this random event and she was actually HR for Universal. And so I ended up meeting with her and yeah, we just kind of had a coffee. I didn't really have many expectations initially for that meeting. And then when I came out of it, she was like, look, I really like you. I think you're great. And I would love to offer you some sort of role. Only issue is, is that I know that you're, you know, at this amazing job already and um you're probably earning a certain amount and and all of that but because you haven't had any music industry industry experience formally I can't just give you like a mm, a normal like yeah like an entry role I've, I've got to kind of offer you an internship and so at the time like my friends and like my boyfriend at the time they were all like you're mad like why would you take this massive pay cut like what are you doing what are you thinking but I just didn't care at the time like I just knew that I needed a change and it was an opportunity to work uh, for Virgin EMI 
now called EMI and for me to work on the TV promo team which again is a is a kind of department I'd never really knew about but I was just like yeah I was like great let's do it like I was so super super into it and even when I went to the interview the woman who ended up being my boss she was like you know it's been so hard to even lock you down for this this um this interview because you had to go to like Paris Fashion Week or whatever and she was like why would you want this job and I was like honestly I just want the job like I am desperate to just get in and just see what it's all about so yeah again luckily they took a chance with me so I took on that internship for a year which is fab and yeah again it was my first like experience of a of a of a major label and it was just amazing for me to like see all the different departments and what they all were and how they all worked together and just basically be a sponge for the year and soak it all up, which was really, really cool. And yeah, so TV promo, just for anyone who's never, ever heard of it, which is completely understandable, is basically the department that looks after promoting an artist's music across TV and radio. But I was on the TV side of the promo department. And so anywhere that you see an artist do an interview on TV or a performance, we book them onto those opportunities. So for example, I don't know, if you're watching Strictly and on the results show, you've got, M&EK performing or um, Sunday brunch performance or interview or literally anything like that. That is what the TV promo department covers. So yeah, it definitely wasn't the only, it wasn't the department that I kind of saw myself fitting into, but it was cool. And it was, again, just a great opportunity to kind of see the inner workings of a label. Mm. But anyway, as I was there, again, maybe like, I would say four months into that internship, I made friends with a guy called Lunik who is now president of his own label called Dream Life Records um, under Sony Music. And at the time he was an A&R scout at Virgin. And we kind of sat back to back at, at our desk together. And like, I just adore him. Like we're still firm friends to this day. Like he's just the greatest, amazing energy. And he was trying to sign Hardy Caprio, who is, you know, has gone on to have a lovely career since yeah. then. Um, so yeah, that was one of Lunik's early sign-ins. And so, yeah, the process of A&R is that you kind of, you meet artists and their management and you talk and you go back and forth and get to know each other and all that. And then you kind of introduce them to the wider team at the label. So Hardy was coming in for that meeting mm-hmm. um, at the label and Lunik was just like, look, like, I just want you to come into this meeting. I know you've never done it before, but... I just don't want it to be a really, really dry meeting of like all the adults and the grown-ups at the label that don't really know the music, don't really care, don't really connect to it. And, you know, I want it to be... Just feel like corporate and a bit stiff and... Exactly. And I think, you know, plainly speaking as well, this was about three, three and a half years ago, almost four, where major labels weren't necessarily that representative of different races, genders. It was, you know, quite heavily male and white and middle-aged. And so all of a sudden, you know, Black music, Black British music really exploded onto the scene in like 2016, 2017. And so all of a sudden, all these companies didn't necessarily have, you know, the faces on the team that can help Mm. identify with these artists and really, you know, speak to them and connect with them. And so, yeah, I guess Lunik had the foresight and just understood that he needed a a room that had a good mixture of people, you know? Mm. Um, So anyway, long story short, he brought me into this meeting and I was just obviously gassed to just be in the room and see how it worked because I've always wanted to do A&R, but it's one of those jobs that everybody wants to do, do you know what I mean? And you don't always get that chance to see like what it really is. Um, so I was just grateful for that. So anyway, the meeting was going great. Um, the president was, you know, given his amazing spiel, like it was great. 
like pros all of them and then um hardy's manager ashley who they, they were so young at the time as well i think they were like 19 or 20 when we were doing this it was this massive room there's probably about 20 people in the label in this room and management and and hardy and Ashley, very boldly, I thought, was like, you know, it's been great to hear from everybody else in the room today, but there's so many of you that haven't got to say anything. Like, you know, it'd be amazing to hear why you think that Hardy should sign here. So I was like sitting there and I was just thinking, wow, like, that's so ballsy. Like, because if I was 20, I don't know if I'd be able to, to like, you know, just assert myself in that way because it is quite an intimidating environment I think there's also a little bit of that feeling of like who like not a power struggle so much but like on the one hand you're trying to have chemistry on the other hand you're both trying to prove that like you're you've got the most value to add or you've got like the 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 balls in your court you're the decision maker kind of thing exactly and so I was just really yeah while I was sitting there going wow like that's so cool like check him out then I realized that I was also in the room (laughs) I also had to speak so I was like shit what am I gonna say anyway so they've gone around and I'm just sitting there going oh my like I didn't sign up for this like I didn't plan to say a word right so anyway it gets the person like next to me and my heart is just racing I can hear it and I was like, oh my God, I can I know that everybody can hear my heart beating right now. I know it. I was just like getting all flustered and embarrassed. Palms, like uh. <laughs> all of it. And any any nervous sensation you can think of, I had it. And anyway, it came to me. And I to this day I don't remember what I said at all. But I blurted out something that I hoped made sense. <laughs> and I kind of almost blacked out, to be honest. Like in my mind, I was just like, blah, 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 whatever. And then I kind of came back into the room <laughs> and it, my boss, the president, started, like, slow clapping me, like, and that completely, like, spun me out. I was like, what is going on here? Like, get me out of this room, like, immediately. I've completely fluffed it. And he was like, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, what she said, da 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 So I was like, okay, cool. I didn't fuck it up. Like, great, wicked. I didn't realise it at the time. Like, to me, I just felt like, phew, I didn't, like, let loose through it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, that was all I cared about, but... I guess in hindsight, I looked back at that moment and realised that it put me on the map for a lot of people. Like I was an intern, like technically probably shouldn't even have been in that meeting, really. Mm. I don't think my boss was that pleased that I was in it either. But I think, yeah, it just allowed, I guess, other members of staff, like the head of A&R, for example, just to like notice me and be like, oh, wow, like, you know, she was a good addition to the room. And Mm. sometimes in those meetings, that's really all it is. Doesn't matter what your department is. Sometimes you just need to make sure you've got the right person in the room that is going to connect with that artist. And so, yeah, so after that, I kind of got invited into a couple of more meetings in my time at, at Virgin in that year. And yeah, and so it kind of just solidified in my mind that this is the job that I wanted to do. And so I just, yeah, I took all those meetings as practice and watched what everybody else was doing and and what they were saying and kind of copied it from there. And then by the time that my internship year was up, I knew that they weren't going to be able to keep me on at at Virgin in the promo department. And really, luckily, I had a couple of offers for A&R jobs, which I was over the moon about Mm. just after I left, actually, because there was like that little interim where I was like shit I don't have a job (laughs) but um yes it worked out perfectly and then I was introduced to the head of A&R at Parlophone Elias who's my current boss now who's great and we just really connected and got on and Parlophone were kind of in this really unique phase of kind of rebranding and rebuilding the label it's a really historic British label but they 
kind of just wanted to have a refresh. They were getting new presidents, new team, and it just felt like the right step to be involved in a team like that. So, yeah, I've been at Parlophone, I think, three years this month, maybe even to the day this week, you know. Crazy. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That's amazing. Wild ride. How quickly do you start taking on your own clients, I guess, or, or managing people yourself? It's It can really vary. Like my boss, for example, he was like, I didn't sign my first artist until four years into my A&R job. In my case, it was six months in, which definitely... <laughs> Come on, he moves fast. <laughs> it wasn't my plan at all, X, but I think... Um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I was just so used to like the baptism of fire in every job that I've had pretty much. It was just like, oh, whatever makes sense. Um, so yeah, my first signer was six months in um, and it was the amazing Hamza who oh. um, is a singer songwriter. She's incredible. She just mm. dropped a new song called In Between. featuring Mira. With Mira May. I love that they collaborated. I was like, that is so good. So good, right? Sorry, shameless plug guys, but it's definitely... A must listen it's so good so she's she was my first baby um my eldest my firstborn yeah so that was six months in which was a crazy crazy journey but yeah it can completely vary and I think it depends on the label that you're at how how big the team is how much they sign you know you could work at a smaller company like like or an indie rather like excel for example and there's less of a pressure to sign things and mm. they sign less but typically they have you know the most amazing artists like Adele or you know so Mm -hmm. it kind of depends on the culture of the label that you're working for too and is there nowadays like because often when I've spoken to people they've said that things have changed a lot of labels and you don't tend to get like the big deals that maybe you used to get have you found that do you tend to sign people for shorter kind of windows now Um, I think I it's a tough one again I think it is really unique to different Mm -hmm. artists and I think there's still space and room for the traditional record deal, which is a longer term thing if that is what the artists and the management feel like that's the journey they want to get on. But I think, you know, the industry has also had to adapt to a newer way of thinking where artists don't want to be as committed for as long Mm -hmm. and, you know, having to compete with different competitors like distribution companies like The Orchard or ADA or Virgin Music. Like there's different ways of doing things now. And so you know, the traditional record deal has had to adapt a little bit and I still think it's got a way to go. But yeah, and it kind of goes in cycles. Like there's points where, I don't know, like a couple of years ago, singles deals were all the rage, which is great on one hand. And, you know, they still work now. But if you're an artist that, you know, wants to build a a long-term career, a singles deal actually isn't that beneficial for either party. But yeah, it kind of depends on like what you want to do in your career, I would say. Yeah. And from what I've understood, like a lot of single steals happen off the back of a single. So like a single kind of builds a bit of traction maybe. And then that might come off the back rather than maybe if it was a longer term deal, you'd kind of work with the artist more on what their music was going to be. Is that generally the case? Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, especially like with dance singles, for example, you could just hear, I don't know, like a, say like a Nathan Dorr or, you know, someone who's got a good kind of track record for success yeah we might just have like our dance a and r specialist for example on the team and it's like they're in constant conversation with those kind of guys and they'll just go yeah wicked will pick up that single and work mm. that single. or it could be that i don't know there was a time definitely in like the rap world where i don't know for example like rams um and barking which is a massive massive record <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I have such a weird memory of doing yoga and that song coming on and being like, why are they playing barking? <laughs> In a yoga lesson. I know, it was so rogue. <laughs> I just remember really distinctly. Yeah, great track. Very catchy. Great track. But yeah, so for, so for that for that kind of period in time, it was like GRM became a really important um, platform for those artists and those songs because there were uploads going up and doing, I don't know, 200,000 views in a day. And Mm -hmm. so that was sparking um, a lot of singles deals, um, which obviously in the short term was great. And, you know, some of those deals did end up being single deals that turned into a longer commitment and uh, situation for those artists. But on the on the flip side of that, it just means that typically you don't get the long-term investment that some of those artists want. So yeah, it can kind of work both ways. Sometimes it's a song that's already just out and doing well, or it's one that you pick up before it gets out and you work it from scratch. But yeah, it, it kind of depends. Mm. So you mentioned it a bit earlier that the kind of lack of diversity, I guess, that you, that you noticed when you when you started your career. And I don't know if it's necessarily worse in the music. I mean, it's like a consistent thing across many industries, isn't it? But I feel like it's particularly problematic because music is culture and everybody listens to music. So if you don't have diverse voices in your headphones, like what does that mean for the impact on society? Did you become aware of it kind of immediately, yeah, when you started your internship? And how is your, I guess, understanding of that problem evolved through your career um you know what I have to say I was really lucky starting out at Virgin EMI because they had a super diverse team they you know a lot of the the majors have an internship scheme and I can't speak for the others because I've I've only interned at, at Universal but it was just like a really like young, fun, like intern group. And you kind of come up together because you start around the same time. And, you know, that was, it was a really good experience for me. There was a lot of women. There was also some amazing women in like senior and mid-management positions. Some of those were women of colour. And so, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I think my initial impression of a label was that it was, I was like, wow, this is super diverse. Like, there's no, there's no issue here. But after that, and even looking at other labels in the building, it was probably less so, and especially in terms of women and women in senior positions and women of colour. But yeah, I guess in the other roles that I've been in since, and just, yeah, the longer I spent in the industry, I realised that EMI was actually a super diverse place and some of the other labels and companies have a little bit to go to kind of catch up. So... Yeah, when I started at Parlophone, it definitely wasn't the most diverse place that I had ever worked, for sure. But that being said, they knew that and they were addressing that and, you know, had all these plans to, you know, just just switch it up and introduce a lot of fresh, young talent, more women and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, it is an ongoing issue. And I think even the events in the last 12 months have kind of accelerated people addressing that issue and you're totally right like essentially you're not just making music for one demographic of people and you have to have the right people on your team to be able to deliver that that message for all these different artists properly so whether that's having enough women on the team for a female artist or enough Asian people on the team for an Asian artist or a black artist or whatever it is or a trans artist or any of those you know, underrepresented areas, I do think it's a really important thing to, for, for companies across the board, not just in music, to to really pay attention to because we're just in a new time now. People are super tuned in and 
you're under scrutiny to make sure that this feels authentic and you're really delivering and servicing your audience um and essentially the audience is king and you can't shortcut that I don't think you've started and kind of founded quite a few things outside of just like what's required from you in your day job a few obviously addressing diversity issues but I was wondering first of all have you always been someone I don't know I guess I get the impression that you're someone who like has an idea and you're like I'm gonna actually make this happen um were you always that way or was there a project that kind of sparked it off and you're like that needs to be done and then you learn to just find time find ways to get things done you know what it's such a good question I think I've probably always been like that if I'm honest (laughs) Um, with myself I think I've just always been a bit of a bossy boots and yeah like I don't know I like to get stuck in and yeah I get quite passionate about causes and I think that that's kind of driven me to do all these things and also just like I often feel like there's no point of talking at length about oh like this should exist or it's really shit we don't have that like if I see a gap for something and and it's something that I feel that I needed or yeah or I go through something and I feel like oh I really needed someone like this or like me in this position to do that I don't know I guess that's what kind of pushes me to do stuff but that being said as I get older (laughs) I'm realising that I'm taking on things that, you know, sometimes I bite off more than I can chew, but, you know, what's life without a little bit of risk? (laughs) I'm just going for it and hopefully it helps someone. And even if it's two people, it's better than it not existing at all and not helping anyone. I have a tendency to do the same. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And then I'm like, why am I just, I need, why am I saying yes? (laughs) But you do just kind of find a way to fit it in if you care out you just do you just yeah I don't know in all my jobs you just learn on the job there's no like handbook especially in music like it's just vibes to be honest like no Mm. one really knows what they're doing (laughs) um until you know they're knee deep in it so I'm I'm not going to be the one to buck the trend I'm going to throw myself into and work it out after I do want to talk about the different ventures that you've got kind of you started and understanding their foundations. So I'm going to start with the Black Music Coalition. What was the journey behind that? Right. So that's probably the newest venture. And that really was sparked off the back of Blackout Tuesday last year after the death of George Floyd. And I think it was just the perfect storm of us all being in lockdown, obviously experiencing life in like the weirdest, craziest way. And also like the world really having time to react to something and not be distracted by our phones, work, traveling, all the normal things that I don't know, we kind of use to desensitize ourselves to a lot of the shit that goes on every day. And of course, like George Floyd's murder wasn't, it wasn't groundbreaking in the sense that black people have been being killed by the police for time immemorial, but it definitely just hit us all differently. And Jamila and Brianna, who um, are out in the States, they kind of spawned the Blackout Tuesday movement. And essentially it was for big companies, music companies namely, to kind of really take stock and and respect what had happened and the effect it has on their black employees and and actually to recognise how important those black employees are in their businesses and how much they contribute. And yeah, for, for us just as black execs on the ground, like it was just a very powerful stance to take and one that we already identified with. So yeah, over in the UK, we kind of joined them in solidarity and decided to kind of down tools for that day. And we used that kind of yeah the 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 time to really regroup just as an industry so we did a call with like 
oh my god it must have been like over 100 um black execs from across the board in the uk music industry and we just talked and yeah i guess in the beginning there wasn't really an agenda as such other than just to then and connect and kind of yeah just back each other up to be honest but Mm. it kind of really just highlighted lots of issues that we're all dealing with as black execs and working with black artists and lots of issues that kind of are overlooked and again I think that moment really just opened that can of worms and it gave us a moment to really take stock of what we were dealing with what we needed to change and we knew that people were going to listen at that point and so a few of us kind of decided to write an open letter to the industry so we kind of addressed it to the chairman you know business owners all of that just across the board and we kind of had five asks that we wanted to yeah like put in play and Mm. and and start a dialogue on and yeah off the back of that we formed the black music coalition and essentially we are I guess a lobbying group um Mm. a collective for black execs contributors black people in music who haven't necessarily had anywhere to turn before and to basically fight for racial equality, equity, and yeah, just just kind of be a central point for black people in the music industry to better our experience and our and our lives in music. And yeah, it's kind of been a whirlwind to be honest. So uh, I'm part of the founding members. There were I think seven of us at first, um, and now there's four of us that form the exec committee, and we kind of are building it from from the ground up which is super difficult and like I said like this is one of those ones that I have I've got no prior experience in you know diversity formally but Mm. you know we're completely fueled by passion and it's something that's really close to our hearts and you know something that we live through every day and we've all kind of had horror stories in our working lives of comments that are made to us microaggressions all these things Mm. that you know, they just don't need to be part of our everyday. And it's going to take all of us working together with each other and our white counterparts, everyone, everyone in, in, in these buildings and those in power to really identify some of those issues and work to to better them. So yeah, it's it's amazing. It's going really well. It's really scary some days because I feel like it's such a big, like, mm. you know, a really big job. But essentially I just have to remember that you know the reason that we all started it is because we want to make things better for ourselves and all the the next generation coming up my kids I've got I haven't got any kids yet but I've got a little brother who's starting out in music you know and we just Mm. it's just like trying to do your bit to make it a better place really so yeah it's super exciting but yeah as well as trying to I guess balance out you know the negative stuff and work on that and how we can make strides in diversity with these different companies it's also about celebrating black contributions to music and celebrating black execs and artists and yeah just making sure that our legacy is documented as well and isn't Mm -hmm. forgotten or rewritten and we're kind of in control of that narrative so it's a kind of balance between legacy and you know, making sure that we're leaving something good behind for people and also, yeah, addressing the the issues that we're facing today. I mean, wow. And also, I think I imagine it's so it feels just amazing to have people to check in with when you experience things and you're like, I don't think that was right. Or I feel like that was to have a group of people to go to to run it past and and to discuss how to handle those situations and work through it for the better, I can imagine must be so powerful and so important moving forward to make sure that as you said, Blackout Tuesday wasn't just a moment that it's actually you can kind of create this force off the back of it and make sure that it, exactly as you say, the legacy changes. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think also it's just, it's easier for me just because I work in a major label and just numbers wise, there's more people and there are more people like me there. Mm. But there's other companies, especially or sectors of the industry, for example, like in live, you can literally count the number of black live agents or promoters on one hand. And it's just kind of identifying those those things and yeah, just making sure that all those people across the board have someone to turn to, even if that isn't internally and they don't feel like they're on their own when they're trying to address, you know, an awkward situation at work and they feel like they're by themselves. So yeah, exactly what you said. It's just about, you know, having people to turn to and, and feeling like you're not alone because when you do go through those, those experiences, it can feel quite isolating especially if you're not senior yet do you know what I mean and yeah it's just about not feeling taken advantage of and and having someone to be like hey this doesn't feel right can I get some help and advice and whatever so yeah yeah and then so the debrief obviously came before that and I was like looking at the photos and I was like oh that looked like it was fun <laughs> so fun I can't believe that we've been cut off in our prime it's so I know. <laughs> but um but tell me about the foundation of that and then obviously the pandemic but you know yeah so again it kind of it's so weird like the the black music coalition even though it came after it definitely was kind of a no-brainer for us to segue into because of the work that we'd already been doing with the debrief i run the debrief with shah grant who is director of anr at 0207 def jam and Afriye Henry Fontaine, who is the Director of Marketing at Motown UK and also at EMI. And that's where I first met her. And Shara and Afriye have been friends for years and years before. Um, and I just met them in the last few years, just through music. And we just always really connected. And Afriye was such an amazing support for me when I was at EMI. And, you know, I was dealing with a few issues and certain experiences or whatever and just as an older woman to me I think at that time I think I was 23 or 24 and yeah it was just really nice to have someone to turn to just on a one-to-one thing and so yeah I guess that experience is really really important for me I never ever forgot it and we stayed firm friends since and I guess off the back of that it just felt like there was this massive gap in music for a space for women that are black women and women of color whereas I think the spaces that already existed which are amazing they speak to the wider experience as a woman which of course is more than valid but I think when you break that down the experience of black women and women of color is completely different and I just felt like we needed a space that really reflected that and so yeah I kind of spoke I spoke to a couple of people um I spoke to a free a first and yeah I just I just felt like we can just do this like I think we should just have a space we can link up meet up and basically create a network of black women and women in the music industry women of color in the music industry rather who need to know each other and like I said like the industry can be a bit of a boys club it can be quite cliquey and you know kind of hard to break through and I wanted other people to have the experience that I had with a free A when I was coming into the industry and so many other black women who really took me under their wing in a way that historically that wasn't possible in a lot of ways. I think we're often pitted against each other, whether that's execs, whether that's black artists and women in general 
you kind of feel like there's a one in one out there's only room for a couple of us right and I wanted to just completely get rid of that like Mm. that's not an attitude that I feel like we should be bringing into 2021 or beyond Mm. um so yes at the end of 2019 um we did our first debrief event and it was literally just in funnily enough a, a venue that we had a really bad experience with, which was crazy in terms of us being women and being black women and being taken advantage of. But it was an amazing event. And we basically just did a panel with some women across the across the industry. I think there was five of us on the panel. And it was just really, just a nice evening of like icebreakers, networking, not in like the wanky sense of networking, like genuinely like, oh my God, like I've only ever spoken to you on email or I've heard so much about you, but we've never met. And it was just a super powerful space. So we did our first event in November 2019. We had another one in March, which was gorgeous, perfect, 10 out of 10. And we honoured Jade Richardson, who is, she's an A&R and working at Island at the moment, but she's had amazing success with like Miss Dynamite and mm. she's done incredible shit. So she was our kind of first honoree for that event. And then I think maybe... A week later or two weeks later, we got stopped in our tracks because of COVID and we haven't been able to do an on like a real life event since. But it kind of just led us to really build out the the space online. And so it kind of lives, yeah, the debrief really lives on Instagram at the moment. And we did our first kind of cyber um event in March for International Women's Day, which is great, where we honored Jinjin, the songwriter, which was amazing. And it was like, I don't know, we felt a bit weird. I don't know how you guys have felt about the the pandemic here at the podcast, but I don't know. It's like it just doesn't hit the same because it's such an intimate space. And we were all quite like anxious about trying to do it online and hoping that people would want to share like as openly and stuff. But it worked out amazing. But I have to say like it still doesn't compare to to do it in real life. So I'm very, very excited to get back. Yeah. It's a weird thing because we've got so used to doing things remotely and doing things on Zoom. And in some ways I think it's bad because like when I started this podcast, I got to meet everyone that I spoke to. So it was just really nice and really intimate. And now it's like, oh, we can just do a Zoom. And it's so easy because it's time for people. So you can just grab an evening or grab like, a, you know, and you could do it in a lunch hour technically. So it's like there is a certain like magic that does go away when you don't get to actually like be in the same room as people so yeah I know what you mean and I think as things start to open up and everyone becomes comfortable with being back together again that's only going to be a lovely thing <laughs> definitely I'm, I'm desperate like I'm super comfortable I just want it I want it now I want the club now I want <laughs> you it. are ready <laughs> honestly um, I really am what kind of a club goer are you like do you have a genre that you go to my favorite club night in London I think has to be recess so it's run by the same team that do no signal which is an amazing radio station mm-hmm. that was birthed properly in lockdown um, they blew up really quickly didn't they <laughs> so incredible and it's great yeah it's but they are one of the best teams and they throw a really, really, really good day party and a night party. Where else would I like to go? Damn Shaq's house. He's doing an event at XOYO soon. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very much like a low-key, I want to wear trainers. Like I'm mm-hmm. a trainer like queen. I've got so many pairs and I love heels too, but I just like wearing heels if I'm going to go to like a dinner where I don't have to mm-hmm. like, we you know, sit down. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Sit down, look cute, take a nice picture. Great. <laughs> but I don't really want to be like in the club, like struggling. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to like dance and like, yeah, brock yeah. out. 
do the whole thing. So I, yeah, definitely like a Shoreditch, low-key, dancehall, hip-hop, R&B kind of vibe. Yeah. Mm. I do kind of wonder what Shoreditch is going to be like. Because, I mean, I'm, I feel like it will just come back to life really fast. But no, I went to Box Park the other day and it was it was lively There's, <laughs> but obviously you have to like sit down which is super dry but yeah i think june 21st wild horses will have to stop us all i think we're gonna be out <laughs> <laughs> i think everybody's gonna be like literally like kissing in the club i think they're gonna be doing it all we're gonna have a baby boom it's gonna be wild i hope so i just kind <laughs> of like i think I, I think just a like a slight bit of chaos would be fun you yeah. know like, I think we deserve it, the fun kind. I think so. I just feel like, so, you know, so many conversations have got so like, so what are you up to? And all anyone's doing is working or like, you know, having cosy nights in with their boyfriend if they're in relationships. So I feel like I'm quite, I want a bit of like, ah, like she got it really wrong and then she went home with this, but you know, I want a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, we deserve the right kind of chaos. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. We need like, some bad mistakes, some drunken mistakes, late nights, early mornings, all of that. Like I'm ready for my life back, to be honest. So ready. <laughs> I'm so desperate. <laughs> Kamala, we've covered like quite a lot of ground. So, but one thing I thought would be really nice to just kind of finish on is just hearing about your like love for music. Like you said, your parents were musical. What was the kind of foundation for you and who were the artists that you grew up on and that kind of thing? Yeah, I know I've spoken so much. Sorry, I'm a proper. No, but it's been so, I've literally been like, this is fascinating okay good but I'm also conscious that you know I'm probably like draining you so okay, no, not at all I can keep going so if you want more let me know okay great. <laughs> I'm good but growing up music was literally my whole life and like I said both my parents have always done music my mum has always worked at labels and she had her own PR company does marketing she's worked at like De La Soul and soul to soul like incredible loads of amazing artists and yeah so I kind of grew up watching her a be a working mum and do that the whole time um and she would like travel to amazing places I remember she went to Puerto Rico with Fat Joe once which was like (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) casually you know what I mean but yeah I just thought okay cool like she just does that so I'm gonna Mm. just have my kids and just do that like great and my dad he plays like instruments and so I always like had that in the house growing up and produces music and him and my mum also managed artists together so one artist they managed together for a long time was Ty who is the late great um he passed away last year super sadly one of the greatest British rappers that you know the UK has had to offer um so I grew up watching them do that and work with like Estelle and wildflower and all these different I don't know it was just like all around me and so like as a baby my dad would like take me to the studio and I don't know I was just literally I was just always around it my mum had an office in Shepherd's Bush and I literally sat after nursery watching the box and music videos on the box like all day and I had like my own little video like VHS recording of all my favorite ones and I don't know, like music has just been part of me since forever. And yeah, I guess when you're young, you don't necessarily know the ins and outs of how you can do it as a job if you're not making it. But yeah, I guess having my parents around really helped show me like different avenues in terms of the business side of things. But yeah, like I said, I I, I kind of fell into fashion. I was like, oh, this is me then. I'm not a, I'm not a music girl. But it was a lie. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't fight the feeling. So here I am. <laughs> 
you took the leap that a lot of people want to do but don't do in terms of like doing that internship after a few years in your career like, I feel like so many people hit that point but then they just think oh well I can't like throw away these three years definitely um, and I think like obviously it completely depends on what commitments you have I was really lucky like I didn't have rent other than what I pay at home do you know what I mean I was still at home I was still childless like do you know what I mean like I I didn't have any commitments and so it's yeah. easier to make that leap but honestly I do think that regardless of where you're at no matter what age no matter if you do have kids if you do have a mortgage whatever I think ultimately like you do just have to take that risk on yourself sometimes and take a chance to be happier and the worst case is just it's not going to work out like it's it's not the end of the world you can always go back and find like a routine job or go back to what you were doing before and I think I'm definitely glad that I took the chance and yeah I always encourage everybody else to because it's much less scary than you think it is and yeah I just think you've you've just got to go for it really Sorry, you asked me what music I grew up on as well, didn't you? Um, I just was always, since a kid, like, I love Mellow Magic. I love Heartbreakers. Like, that is my go-to. If I really want to, like, just sing my heart out, that is, that's my shit. Do you sing, like, do you do karaoke? Like, just, I mean, I guess not. I can't really sing that well. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the greatest singer, but I love classic songs. And, like, even growing up, my mum and dad would be like, why do you know this song? Like, why? I don't know. Like, I've got... I've got like a playlist of songs that nobody would think that I knew. Mm. Whether that was like, I don't know, there's like Self Control by Laura Branigan, Tune, Promise Me, Beverly Craven, Tune. Like they're, they're songs that you would just never really, I don't know, like you wouldn't necessarily look at me and think, oh, like that's, that's your jam, but they're my jams. And I think, yeah, just from a young age, like I just love like great songs. And I think, yeah, I don't know, I've got such a, a wide like, taste in music um and I think it really does help in terms of my job as well like it just means that the ideas and references that you kind of pull from are you know wider than maybe the average person that's my age so yeah I would say that's like my my A&R superpower <laughs> yeah and like having an interest or an ear for timeless tracks as well I think is a bit of a superpower because it is such an interesting thing like songs for a moment versus songs at last definitely and I don't know, sometimes, yeah, having an ear for that, I think, must be a special thing. Yeah, I, I, I hope. I'm still training it, to be fair. But I think it's so difficult now as well because things have become so disposable in a way in terms of music. Like, you've got TikTok and just even how we, you know, before we'd go out and buy a CD or a vinyl and it was more of a commitment, whereas now it's like you can just passively listen to things and you know, it doesn't feel as much of a conscious effort in some for some people in some ways. And I think it is really important to, for me anyway, in my career, I do want to be involved with music that is going to stand the test of time in a lot of ways. And that's not to take away from, you know, the 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 hits that are of the moment. I don't know, like, you know, I'm not going to turn down a, a cheeky girl's anthem or like a, what's another one, like Last Ketchup. You know what I mean? I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that you're like, I know this can dominate a summer, like fair fair like I am not turning my nose off of that <laughs> but I think you know you want to have a nice balance right and 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 be very of the moment but also find artists that are gonna mean something to people forever and mm. really that's why I want to do this job like I said like I, I have got such a deep love for music and artists and you know really the greats and that's what you want to be part of like that well that's what I want to be part of I want to you know I want my own like Rihanna or 
Prince or Luther Vandross. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want someone that is going to just touch people for forever and yeah. with their music. And yeah, I guess that I, I feel like if I manage that in my career, I'll be happy. Yeah. I'll retire on the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. See you there. Rock up with my little speedboat. Um, no, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Though, like, <laughs> I love the fact that it's that thing of like loving the classics, but also not being a snob, like not being, yeah. you know. I was wondering, actually, when you're talking about the debrief, is that exclusively or specifically for people who are actively working in the music industry and do people is it best for people to just follow on instagram if they're interested in connecting into that space and any of the spaces that you're in yeah so the the debrief at the moment it's aimed more so for execs and and people working behind the scenes in the music industry rather than so much for artists Mm -hmm. just because like i said it kind of was born out of a need for a support system um which not everybody has and so yeah in terms of like our events it definitely is focused on that but that being said of course if there are women who are trying to get into the industry 100% follow us on Instagram reach out chat to us it's definitely open in in that sense but there's no boys allowed (laughs) just yet like (laughs) they're not they're not allowed but Obviously, as we kind of get back to normality, we are hoping to open up our events a little bit more. And and even with our online events, like typically at the moment, it is meant to be a safe space for black women and women of colour. And that's not to say we don't have lots of allies from 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 men to to, you know, white people, whatever. But it was important to us to kind of build it out from there. And then as we go along, hopefully have different types of events where we can invite everybody and we can all you know share a space as well so that is the plan moving forward but definitely everybody is more than welcome to follow us on instagram at the d.brief um and keep up with us and yeah see what we're we're up to hopefully a fun year as well as an amazing year and Connie, where can people like find you on on the socials? Where are you at? So I'm mostly on Instagram. I don't have Twitter, sadly, but you can find me on Instagram mainly if you search Vibes Carmel. So V Y B Z K A R M E L on Instagram, and then you can also find me via the Debrief on Instagram at the D Brief or the Black Music Coalition on Instagram and Twitter. Kamali, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your insights so valuable and so interesting such a great space and I really really appreciate you even considering me to come and talk so thank you so much for having me